Good morning again. Good to uh, see you today. Uh, our, uh, well, first of all, thanks for those that prayed for me when I was out last week. Well, COVID, no big deal. Um, we're back this week and ready to rock and roll. So thank you for those that, um, that did pray for us. Uh, our series of messages in the book of Genesis brings us today uh, to Genesis 28. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and take them out. Turn to Genesis chapter 28 as we are going to look at verses 10 through 22 uh, this morning. And today's focus is going to be again on Jacob. And in the ancient Hebrew, uh, the, the Jacob literally means that he grabs the heel. And so in everyday language, that meant to deceive. And Jacob definitely lives up to his heel-grabbing name. A few weeks ago, we saw him manipulate his brother into selling him his birthright as an inheritance uh, for uh, a bowl of stew. And in chapter 27, we learn that sometime later, after their father Isaac has lost his sight and he's on his deathbed, and he wanted to pass the blessing on to the oldest son, Esau. Isaac was a little headstrong on the issue because there was nothing in Esau's behavior that indicated that he was serious about carrying on the family name. He, he cared so little about his birthright that he sold it for a little bit of stew. He, he chose to marry a Hittite woman rather than picking a gal from Abraham's tribe as Isaac had done before, and Abraham did, and, and Jacob would do later. But Esau's was Isaac's favorite. Remember, he was a sports guy, he was a hunter, and Isaac loved the wild game that Esau would bring back home. So even though Isaac and Rebekah had received prophecy many years prior, that Jacob would be the one to carry the torch. Isaac insisted on giving his paternal blessing to his favorite son, Esau. Now, now Rebecca, she doesn't want that to happen. And so she and Jacob come up with this plan, right, to trick Isaac into giving the blessing to Jacob instead. And here's kind of how it goes down, right? Rebecca would prepare this meal, right, Isaac's favorite and Jacob would put on this costume that, that made him appear to be rough and, and hairy like Esau and so Isaac is, is old and, and he can't see really well and so he falls for it like hook, line and sinker and he passes the blessing to Jacob and not Esau. Now, sometimes it's difficult to discern a lie and whether a statement is sin or not, and it comes back to the question of intent, but other times it's not difficult at all. And here, Jacob clearly lies to his father. And here's the thing. The paternal blessing is a big deal back then. Well, like a fundamental part of ancient tradition. It's considered irrevocable. And even though in this case it was obtained and pronounced on the wrong side. And Esau's just hopping in. Can you see him? Just in your mind's eye. Can you see 
Esau, I just picture him with this red face, and he's just like blowing up mad. And he's mad because he's the victim of one of Jacob's schemes again. Here's how he describes or decides to resolve this family conflict in Genesis 27, verse 41. It says, now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed them. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. So that's not a great way to resolve family conflict. <laughs> Esau's concern for the blessing of his father quickly disappears into this bitter hatred of Jacob. And this bitter hatred goes from that to, to murder on his mind. And, and Esau plans to kill Jacob as soon as Isaac dies. And here's what's weird. The thought of that for Esau, it, it, the Bible says it comforted him. That's kind of strange. Now Rebecca catches wind of Esau's plan. And so she tells Jacob to go visit his uncle Laban. I mentioned a few weeks back, Laban was Rebecca's brother. And so Laban's this guy who's all excited that Rebecca, you'll remember, married into this wealthy family. And so Jacob, he hightails it back to his homeland in which a life-altering event takes place. It's the very kind of transform, transformational event that I hope either has taken place or will take place in every single one of our lives. And with his life in danger, Jacob leaves Beersheba and he heads towards the city of Haran where his extended family lived. And can you imagine just the, the strange flood of, of feelings in Jacob's life at this moment. It, it, it's got to be like fear and loneliness and isolation and excitement and anticipation. This was an important time in Jacob's life. And at the end of the first day, he finds this place to set up camp and spend the night. And so he chooses a stone to use as a pillow and, and goes to sleep. I'm thinking a stone. This guy needs like a my pillow, man. A stone? <laughs> like I'm thinking we're cupcakes, right? Because these guys are laying on the ground with a stone as a pillow. I'm like, where's my sleep TV or my sleep number, you know, bed thing? So as he sleeps, he has this dream. And it's about a, a stairway that reaches to heaven. And in Jacob's dream, there's now access to heaven. And Jacob now knew that God was closer than ever before. And there's real access and interaction between heaven and earth. And for us, we know now that, that and Jesus made it clear in John 1.51, not in your notes today, but just jot that down, John 1.51, that, that Jesus is the access to heaven. Jesus is the means by which heaven comes down to us and by which we can go to heaven. Right? Jesus is the ladder. Jesus is the way to heaven. He doesn't show us the way. He what is 
the way. Right? John 14, 6, you probably know it. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, what? Except through me. Now, now look with me at verses 13 and 15, through 15 back in Genesis. And, and, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, will, I will give to you and your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So, so Jacob has no doubt that, 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 that he has heard about this great God who appeared to Abraham and who appeared to Isaac. But now this same God meets Jacob in a personal way. And this is right here where there's a life-changing experience for Jacob. But this is basically the same promise that God give, had given years before to Abraham and to Isaac. And now it was time for Jacob to hear it and to believe it and to obey it. And Jacob wakes up and he remembers his dream. And he says in verse 16, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And Jacob was right in sensing the presence of the Lord there. And if he thought God was in some places but not in others, he was wrong about that, right? Jacob sets out to make some choices and some changes that would define the remainder of his life from this point going forward. I think there are three elements here to Jacob's story that are key for us just to have a new beginning. At some point in our lives, we probably need a new beginning. And the first thing that happened in Jacob's life that, that needs to happen in our lives uh, is knowing uh, God becomes a personal matter, right? Go ahead and take your note sheets out and follow along with me and fill in those blanks, right? Knowing God becomes a personal matter. Jacob grew up knowing about Abraham's God. He, he grew up knowing about Isaac's God. And no doubt he had even heard the story, stories about Noah's God. He, he knew his people were not like the Canaanite people, and their gods were nothing like the God of Abraham and Isaac. But up to this point, G Jacob has kind of kept his faith at, at arm's length. We see no indication up to this point that he's trusting in God to bring about the promise. Right? It's not like he's a huge Man of prayer here. We know well, what we do see is we know that he's a schemer, right? We know that he's a deceiver. He's a heel grabber. He wasn't above deceit or trickery to get what he wanted. But now here he is in the desert facing a moment of truth. And the God of all creation comes to him and says, in effect, I am the God of your grandfather Abraham and your father Isaac, and I am your God too. All that I've promised can be yours. Including the ground that you sleep on this very moment. It belongs to you and your descendants. And the Lord said this in verse 15. Behold, I am with you 
and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I've promised you. And I think at this moment, this is where his father's faith becomes real to Jacob here. It became personal for him. And that's what needs to happen in your life. Maybe, probably most of you, it's already happened for you. But if not, that needs to happen in your life. That there needs to be that moment when your faith moves from the general to the specific, from the theoretical to the practical, from the historical to the personal. Where you view God not as the God that I heard about, but rather that he is my God. That, that he is with me. That, that he watches over me. That all of his promises are real to me. And that happens when you accept Christ as your Savior and you have this personal relationship with him and you give him your heart and you give him your life and you begin this new relationship with me. I don't know about you, for me, it happened 48 years ago when I was out, just out of the hospital after having surgery on both my feet. And for me, I just realized that at that moment I can go through life with my I needed Jesus in my life. Well, which is really the second part of this, trusting in Jesus and his promises every day for your life. Just like God made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he makes promises to all of his people. Promises like, like I will be with you today and always. I will give you strength to face what you must face. I will give you peace and joy. I will fill your life with meaning. I will cause everything that happens to work out for good for those that love me according to his purposes. I will hear your prayers and I will answer. I will forgive you of your sins and cover the past with my mercy. All promises of God. And I can go on and on about the exceeding great promises of God because the Bible is filled with them. And I just think a lot of people go through life thinking that the promises were kind of meant for other people. Certainly they weren't meant for me. And it doesn't matter where your life is taking you so far. If you're not living a promise-filled life, it's time to make it personal. It's time to hear what God is saying to you. And by faith, through grace, believe and accept what Jesus did for you on the cross. The beginning of a new beginning means your relationship with God is a personal matter. And when that happens, the second element of what happened to Jacob becomes real to us. Number two this morning, recognizing God in your everyday experience. When Jacob laid down that night, it was just a campsite. It was just a place in the desert where he could sleep without being disturbed. He wakes up a few hours later, and he definitely sees things Differently. Verses 16 and 17, then Jacob awoke from his sleep and he said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. Then he was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. And suddenly in this wide open spot in the road out in the middle of nowhere was home to God Almighty. And then in verses 18 and 19, it says, So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of the place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at first. 
In this little ritual that Jacob performs, calls this place Bethel, which means house of God. Now, in other words, what he's saying is this is where God lives. Now, you'll remember years later when God appears to Moses, right? He says this in Exodus 3, 5. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off of your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And you'll remember, this is like the burning bush account where, where God is talking to Moses and the ground was holy. Why? Because God was there. That's why. Removing the sandals showed an, appro an appropriate humility. It also recognized the immediate presence of God. And in a lot of cultures, you take off your shoes when you go into somebody's house. And now Moses was in God's house, in his presence. And in that sense, we can say today that we're standing, what? On holy ground. Where you are right now, it's holy ground. Why? Because God is here. He is with you in this moment. That's the promise, and it applies to you personally. Once you become aware of his presence and you see him, you begin to see him everywhere. You begin to see him at work in everything. Here's the third element I want you to consider this morning. Surrendering your life to his lordship. Jacob wasn't content in the moment merely to have this experience. He wasn't willing for the moment just to be a moment in his life. He was ready to make some long-term life-changing decisions. Look at Genesis 28, 20-22. And then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and it will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so, I, so that I come again to my father's house in, in peace, then the Lord shall be my God in this stone which I have set up as a pillar shall be God's house. And all of that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Now, now at first glance, when you read these couple of verses, you, you might um, think to yourself that Jacob is trying to make a deal with God here, but I really don't think that's what's going on here. I, I, I really think that Jacob is making a vow to God and he repeats back to him the promise that, that God has spoken to Jacob earlier. I think Jacob's at the point where he's saying to God, I will surrender my life to you from now on. And in verse 22, Jacob is, is saying that he's ready to back it up, back up his words with actions, right? He says, I'll give you a tenth. The question for us today is, have you surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus? Have you asked them into your heart to, to forgive you of your sins? That's the question. Then I'm also talking about the moments of surrender that we all experience throughout life when we find it necessary to get back to square one and, and say, God, I'm, I'm willing to trust you in everything all the way. I mean business, and I'm ready to back it up. And sometimes we just need that reset, right? Maybe you're here today, and you need to say to God, God, I mean business, and I mean business about getting my marriage back on track, and I'm going to change the way I speak to my spouse. Right now, I'm going to make sure we have time together. 
I'm going to do whatever it takes to make my marriage work. And maybe you're here today, and for you, you need to mean business about getting your finances in order. And so you'll make the necessary cuts and start to follow the biblical guidelines for spending, saving, and giving. Right? Or maybe for you, it's your spiritual life. God, I mean business. I'm gonna, you know what? I'm going to turn off the TV. I'm going to put my phone in the other room, and, I, and I'm going to spend some time in your word and in prayer and time in fellowship with godly believers, and I'm going to worship, and I'm going to serve others. Maybe that's the thing you need to mean business with God with this morning. Here's the thing. We're going to see in the weeks ahead, Jacob, not perfect, but he is different. God's doing a work in Jacob, and he will continue for his entire life. And just like you, God is doing a work in you. In Philippians 1.6, he makes it clear when it would be done. He says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you is willing to bring uh, in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Right? It's a lifelong process. Because this good work was begun and Paul was confident of its completion. God is a worker who completes his works. And this work in the believer will not be fully complete until the day of Jesus Christ, which in this context has the idea of a second coming of Christ and our resurrection now. Lifelong process. Jesus is doing a work in you. Are you willing to surrender your life to him? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word today. Yet my prayer this morning is that if there's anybody here this morning that hasn't completely surrendered their life to you, God, that they would do that this morning. Maybe they're already a believer. That, that issue's been settled. But, but maybe, God, they need to make you Lord of their life. They need to surrender to you. They need to mean business with you. If that's you this morning. Just take some time right now in the quietness of this time just to confess your heart to the Lord. Christ to come into your life. God, as we leave this place today, may we recognize you working in our lives every day, every moment of every day. And then, God, may we surrender to what you would have us for your purposes and your will in our lives. It's in Jesus' name that I pray.